Hello everyone, welcome to Risk Roundup. The digital global age is rewriting the rules of competition. As the technology transformation gains momentum, entities across nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia, in short referred to as NGIOA, are undergoing rapid changes in cyberspace, geospace, and space, in short referred to as CGS. When these rapid changes in CGS are intensifying competition for entities across NGIOA, it forces us to understand and evaluate what is fundamental to compete today and in the coming tomorrow. Developing a competitive edge has become a survival necessity for everyone, as the very structure of competition and performance is taking a center stage it is important to understand that no one element remains more fundamental to competing in a digital global age than competitive intelligence. What does this mean? It means that irrespective of NGIOA, decision makers today need to learn as much as possible and as soon as possible about the changing fundamentals of cyberspace, geospace, and space in general and about the competitors within and across NGIOA and about any new idea and innovation that could be on its way to disrupting the very products, services, initiatives that they may have or are working on. To discuss competitive intelligence further, I'm honored to welcome Ben Gillard to Risk Roundup. Ben, Benjamin Gillard, in, referred to, uh, commonly known as Ben, is the co-founder and president of the first training institution dedicated to competitive intelligence a former associate professor, uh, professor of strategy at Rutgers School of Management. Ben is also the author of Business War Games, Early Warning and Business Blind Spot. He is based in the United States. Welcome, Ben. We are delighted to have you on Risk Roundup. Thank you, and I'm delighted to be here. Wonderful, Ben. So amidst the rapidly changing fundamentals of cyberspace, geospace, and space, how can any entity across NGIO remain competitive today, Ben? Competitive is a loaded term because it's not exactly clear what competitive means. Just like strategy. You ask 10 people in a company, what does it mean strategy? And you'll get about nine different answers. To remain competitive means to remain different than competitors, to be able to stand out in a crowd. And no matter what the technological change is in the background, the foundation of strategy has little to do with the delivery of technology. It has to do with what value do you offer customers that others can't or others want. And for that, I don't think business executives have any problem of staying competitive as long as they stick to the notion of strategy as being a little different. The problem they face is not with technology is the problem of imitating other companies, which is a pressure on Fortune 500 all the time. They lose their identity as they start looking and behaving like their competitors. So actually the danger is not technology. The danger is you lose your focus on your strategy. Uh, that's a very important point you made that uh, it is not just the technology, but when you try to copy other, you know, models or other competitors, uh, uh, the way they do things, that's where the big challenge is. If you are not authentic, if you don't have your real original ideas, 
that's where you know a lot of problems occur and uh, that's an important point because developing the competitive edge requires understanding of not only what is happening within and across NGIA but also within and across cyberspace, geospace and space that impacts our initiatives, businesses or industries and we have to make sure that what we are offering in terms of our products, services or any initiatives that we have that they are you know there is a market for that and that, that there is a uh, the competition that they that is across and within our ngi or cgs boundaries that they their model and uh, what we are trying to achieve there is some sort of you know understanding and clarity about it where we are going and what we are trying to achieve but what does competition competition mean today i mean you have been in this business you are training you know and you are uh, your advisor to so many different companies and you are uh, telling them you know uh, teaching them and uh, laying the foundation about competitive intelligence from your observation what do you see as a, what do decision makers how do they approach competition and what what does competition mean that, to these decision makers uh, that you are dealing with so i'll separate the question into two uh, how they approach competition and what we teach are two different things so one of the biggest uh, failures of competitive intelligence which uh, when i started it in 1982 there wasn't even a term for competitive intelligence. It was nothing. One of the biggest failure is that executives in corporate being extremely busy started delegating it down in the organization because when you came with the term competitive intelligence, for them, it sounded like competitor monitoring. So it's like a baby monitoring. And with the concept of competitor monitoring came a lot of minutia. Competitor X introduced product C that has feature D in market F. Executives are not interested. Some executives whose role is to manage a country, yes. But when you rise to senior management, that's not a strategic concern. So from competitive intelligence, which we define as understanding all, all the major high impact players in your market, which includes competitors, but also customers, influencing agents on customers' decisions, regulators, uh, people are trying to enter into your market, suppliers with some power, and naturally disruptors, as we call them today, because it's a buzzword, everybody is a disruptor, the role of intelligence is to understand third parties, any third parties. When you understand the high impact players, you can assess how much risk, how much opportunity they present. You can actually design a strategy that takes into account what the high impact players are going to do in the future. When it became competitor monitoring, it became a glorified library. And a lot of the Fortune 500 executives don't get any competitive intelligence. What they get is data, or what they get is information. Intelligence is not data and it's not information. And it's very hard to actually cross the barrier where they understand we're not dumping more data on your table because that's, that's useless. If they have any problem is that they have too much data 
what we come in and say is we enable some of your people to understand all the major players in the market, all of them, not just competitors, in such depth they can actually give context to your decisions. That's different than competitor monitoring. Yes, definitely. And you made a, an interesting point at the beginning that at what level the competitive intelligence activity is happening. I mean, if the decision makers just uh, ask their you know, subordinates or you know, other departments uh, at the lower level to uh, address the competitive intelligence, then it, it's every each level of an organization is going to require a different nature of competitive intelligence. What C-level executives need is more of a strategic uh, you know, intelligence uh, understanding and that uh, data than you know, what uh, the business unit heads need or the uh, marketing you know, department needs. They, they all need different kind of intelligence. And that is where you know, a lot of uh, challenges I see that you know, decision makers if if an organization gets through you know from top to bottom gets only one kind of competitive intelligence that is not very effective model because each of the uh, each layer each unit each department requires different kinds of intelligence and the c level executives and board they require different kind of uh, competitive intelligence or strategic strategic intelligence there the competitive intelligence uh, that they require ha needs to have bigger component of strategic intelligence and the um, business uh, the unit or the marketing unit, they require a very different kind of, uh, or financial unit, they require very different kind of competitive intelligence. So that is uh, very challenging. But do you see competitive intelligence as an essential component to developing a strategy for survival, success, and uh, sustainability in a digital global age, especially as you deal with this uh, C-level decision makers? So it's in my self-interest to say the obvious. Which is, of course, I mean, how, how can you develop a strategy without having uh, a deep understanding of the marketplace, which is what competitive, not competitor, but competitive intelligence is supposed to do. But the truth, there are executives who require little competitive intelligence. I mean, think about Steve Jobs. Uh, he didn't have any. So there are occasions in which the chief executive or the innovator or the entrepreneur has enough of his deep knowledge. And sometimes the deep knowledge is the opposite of the consultants, the opposite of the McKinsey's and the Lloyd's and all the people who come and tell him this is here and this is there. And that executive actually charges in a direction that is in his mind. That's the entrepreneurial vision. And to say that he needs competitive intelligence, he might already have it. I, I have a lot of respect throughout executives' intuition, all I'm telling them is, I'm not here to replace your intuition. I'm here to show maybe some holes in the intuition, and I'm here to suggest some options that you might not have thought about because you can't really have time to read the entire map of your industry players, where they are going, all their plans, etc. So I start with the executive intuition. I start with the idea of where the executive wants to go and the intelligence should provide him with options of how to get there. And you're completely right. At the level of sales, 
marketing, uh, product manager, brand manager. This is tactical. Or if you want to call it strategic, it's regarding a brand strategy, not a, every little move of competitors. But the common theme among all those intelligences that are going up or going down is that it's not information and it's not data. And people have a hard time understanding the difference. They think if they send in report on competitor X having 52.5% in some markets, like the Nielsen report or the IMS in pharma, that's competitive intelligence. Nothing is farther from the truth. This is just noise. And the role of intelligence is actually to clear the noise. Just like the Luis Group challenge is to combine things into a meaningful picture. The role of intelligence is to reduce the noise to have a meaningful picture. Very true, very true. And now there are many decision makers who believe that competitive intelligence is about analyzing just competitors. Do you think competitive intelligence is just about analyzing competitors or there is much more to competitive intelligence? Actually, uh, I work across every industry you can imagine. I run war games with almost every Fortune 500 that lead in the market. And quite often, competitors are the least important players in that market, especially the big ones. I mean, if you, want, if you work with GE or you work with Pfizer, their biggest threat is not going to come from another company just like them because they themselves haven't surprised the markets in decades. So when you are big and you are slow and you are giant and you have a cash a cow in your portfolio, you're not going to do anything which is revolutionary and disruptive. So competitors, especially the big ones, which is what Fortune 500 typically pay attention to, they are, sometimes they are the least important, sometimes they are important, but there are so many high impact players that when you look at the market and you ask yourself, where are the opportunities and where are the risks? They come from players that have little to do with your direct competitors at this point. You need to understand the set of high impact players. Competitors, just one component. Yes, very, very true. Now, over the years, if, if, if you're talking about the businesses, over the years, they many of these businesses dominated on the basis of just uh, their size, on the pure economies of scale. However, the economies of scale or the size of business is no longer an advantage. In, in many industries in this digital global age, the changing fundamentals of cyberspace, geospace, and space is removing the advantage of being big. So how do you see these impacting competition and competitive intelligence? Uh, that's funny. F first of all, yes. I mean, uh, when you look at economies of scale uh, as a production parameter or manufacturing parameter, uh, there are many industries where economies of scale are still extremely important, uh, like uh, aircraft and even automobiles. But when you look at uh, marketing, for example, Today, with a viral campaign, however you define it, a small player can catch attention on the social networks and beat the big brands who spend millions on trying to get that, the same attention. But overall, I think it's a mistake to assume that size doesn't matter anymore. Uh, what does matter, it's not particularly necessarily the scale we're thinking about in manufacturing, but big companies with a lot of resources uh, are hard to kill. And when you think about size doesn't matter, think about Amazon. It didn't matter at the beginning, 
but today Amazon is a giant and it's going to kill everybody in its path. So size plays a huge role. What plays less of a role is the idea that uh, you can simply rely on size without looking at what other changes happening around there. Size will carry you for a while. It will be hard to kill you. But when you look at companies that died like AOL and Sears and many other examples galore, even if you look at Cisco, that was huge and then shrunk and then it's big again, et cetera, size plays a role. I, I, would, I wouldn't really dismiss it as not important in a market. So if, if we have to see what size we are talking about, whether those digital companies size we are talking about or the traditional model, you right. know, that's what we are talking about. So yes, definitely it uh, plays a role. Now computer code, connected computers and internet is changing everything. And as we witness the technology transformation of a digital global age, what impact do you see technology bringing in reshaping the competitive intelligence dialogue itself? In some industries, very little. Technology in many industries, especially IT technology, is more on the operational side. And they all do the same things. So they all digitalize and they all do social marketing and they all bring in the ERPs. They all do the same. So when it comes to this race of keeping up with technology, they are very good. And you, they had the big consulting firms and the integrators, etc. They are very good at that. Technology in itself is not a strategy. And if you look at the failure rate of Silicon Valley companies and the failure rate of uh, venture capital, who are all about transformation and technology and how important it is, you realize technology in itself is not strategy. And so many companies fail because they think technology is the same as strategy. Oh, I have a wonderful technology. I must win in the market. There are so many players who are going to affect the outcome. If you don't understand how they're going to react, if you don't understand how they're going to move, or if you don't understand how the market structure changes, your technology doesn't help you at all. So technology is a component. I don't see technology as the most important thing in strategy. I see focus. I see activity map, concept that Porter brought in in 1980, and are still the most powerful concept that's come strategy. So people who confuse strategy and technology are making a mistake. Now, that said, there are some companies where competitive intelligence is mostly technical intelligence, and that's tactical. I mean, even, even those that look at technology in the future, it's mostly tactical because they don't really impact strategy. They, they impact the operations, and we need to get this, and we need to get that, and we need to update software, but the core of the strategy doesn't come from here is a new technology of digitization or a new technology of shipment that changes execution not strategy yes very true very true now uh, we know that competitive intelligence is not formally accepted by all organizations i mean we see that uh, many large corporations they have a very structured competitive intelligence program within their organization but that is not the case if you look at the mid-sized companies or smaller companies or you know even uh, uh, you know all the industries they don't have that so if the decision makers want to start or implement a competitive intelligence program, what 
are the key points or questions that the decision makers need to be asking themselves to evaluate whether they do need an actual you know competitive intelligence program a very structured formal program what is that they need to uh, address so you're right uh, mid-sized companies and small companies don't have the resources to actually have a structured program because many of them have a misconception of what competitive intelligence is. So they think they need a lot of resources. They need a lot of data. They need to start a portal for intelligence. All that is, is, is just the frills. It's, it's, it's the cherry on a cake. In order to get a competitive intelligence process, I'm not talking about department, I'm not talking about uh, uh, 10 people in a department, I'm talking about get competitive intelligence process, sometimes all you need is one person. And it doesn't have to be a full-time job for that one person. But the question is, where do you start? So the failure of competitive intelligence has been for many decades that we focused on production. And you can see it in the schools that teach intelligence. There's still enormous focus on production and how to produce intelligence. And we got so sophisticated. I mean, we have uh, big data and analytics, even though when it comes to intelligence, this is complete nonsense at this point. I hope it will change. Uh, but you have all kinds of tools and techniques and, and, and programs that uh, teach and, and years of all of it has little to do with real competitive intelligence because intelligence is not about the production. It's about the use. And if you are a decision maker with influence in your company, which means you're really a senior decision maker, you have to think about competitive intelligence from what do I want from it? Do you really want to know every little detail about what competitor X did in market Y in Kazakhstan? And so if, if that's what you want, don't get competitive intelligence. You know, ask your marketing agency to give you some uh, automated news. Wall Street Journal will be there much better than anybody who can be in your company. So you have to ask yourself, what do I want from competitive intelligence? If your answer is I want options, that's for you. And it has nothing to do with formal structure. It has to do with where do you start with it? And we have a model that we advocate that starts from something very similar to the president daily brief type, which is in, in business, it wouldn't be daily. You don't need it. But goes as a dialogue between an intelligence advisor and the decision maker. And I'm talking about the senior decision maker. And it's based upon an internal network of people who provide the foundation to the dialogue and one person who can talk to the executive on eye level telling him there are holes in where you want to go and here are some options of how to cover that if that's what the decision maker wants to do you can do it in a medium-sized company as well some cultures it's impossible i mean yes. you go to germany mid-sized companies you talk to the founders, they don't need anybody to tell them anything. So they don't have real intelligence. And in Europe in general, it's a little problematic. But it's not the size of the company that matters, and you don't need a lot of resources. It's the mindset. What do you want from it? Yes, very true. It is the mindset. That is the most important. That would help you define the scope and uh, what you are trying to... Uh, how you want the competitive intelligence, where you want to use it, and what uh, meaning it would bring to your organization, your efforts, your initiatives. And that is the key, the mindset and the approach. But as we, there are many, like, there are many different, you know, 
uh, tools and technologies and their process and the cycle of competitive intelligence is also very well uh, documented but I, the most important part I, I see I won't say the most important but one of the mo uh, most important uh, aspect of the competitive intelligence uh, cycle or process is gathering the information so the from your understanding do you see the competitive intelligence professional relying on open source information or they have a, a different way of gathering the information uh, first i don't think it's the most important part by the way not today when i started in the 80s it was how to get information and the first book that i co-authored called the business intelligence systems in 1988 was the first book to advocate an internal network in your company because these people come in contact with the market. So we advocated primary intelligence, which is what do customers tell your salespeople? What do companies tell your purchasing agent? That was 88. Today, your problem is not getting information. I mean, there is so much information, it's unbelievable. Your problem is which part of all that information is actually useful? And that's a very difficult task to say. Uh, but the idea of gathering in information and in business especially, it's all, always only public sources. You have a primary component when you talk to people, but I would say 90% of the Fortune 500 today don't allow the people to talk to anyone. In 1996, there was a law passed called the I don't know, trade secret and espionage law, whatever, even though it's hardly ever implemented, you know, Fortune 500. Woo! You don't talk to anybody, legal liabilities, blah, blah, blah. The last one to do dumpster diving, as it's called in the, in the popular press about competitive intelligence nonsense, was Larry Ellis, uh, Ellison from Oracle, because he doesn't give a damn about anybody. But today, 90 to 95% of all information comes from published sources, databases, etc. And I don't think you should gather it yourself at all. I think that's a complete waste of a real resource. You're using a professional to do something that you can buy cheaply from so many sources today. There are automated services that can send information directly to tactical level users like the marketers and the business development and the salespeople. And they can do their own searches, which is more effective because they know what they want for and they can define a profile. This is what I want to know. The professional, the analyst, the brilliant person needs to actually bring a perspective that serves the tactical user and the CEO and the executives with context, which goes way beyond information and data. So for me, gathering the data today is and it's going to be automated completely. I mean, AI is going to take over. That's the easiest part in the world today. What data do you want? I'll give. I'll get it to you. Now, some countries you still can get any data, but very few of the Fortune hundreds need the data on some forsaken market. They need the data on big markets. They can get it galore today. It's just a matter of spending a little bit here and a little bit there. What they miss is the insight. Insight doesn't come from gathering information. It comes from seeing the world for third-party assessments. Yes, yes. 
Now you are right that you know in the coming years we are going to see automation of the uh, information gathering. But it is even after the AI or machine learning will be able to make sense out of all that uh, information that is in front of them and all the data, with big data and uh, all the analysis, big data analytic tools uh, that we have, we'll be able to easily make sense of it. But in spite of using those tools and technology, it is probably the ability of the professional analyst to visualize what the impact is going to be today or in tomorrow or like five years, 10 years, what the impact of that information that they have in front of them, that would determine what kind of intelligence that they will be able to provide to the decision makers because it is the ability to visualize the impact. It is not just the information, it is our ability to visualize it to see the impact where it's going that is going to that is going to play a very very important role or i would say the key role and do you see that the competitive intelligence professionals that they are actually using their ability that to evaluate different impact different uh, approaches that if this happens this is what is going to happen and take all the different variables and are able to effectively evaluate the information data that is in front of them you hit it on the head you nailed it i read your website and it was very clear from the first sen sentence that in that respect we're on the same wavelength you use the word imagination I wouldn't use imagination simply because in business it has a big <laughs> connotation of uh, not realistic, which is not true, but it is the imagination of the future. And this is what many people, even in my field of intelligence, don't understand. Intelligence has nothing to do with the present or past. That's information. Intelligence is always about the future, which you have to imagine. And the role of strategic intelligence is actually, yes, what's the impact? And it's only about the future. And the future doesn't have any information. I heard one of the web podcasts that you had, somebody said, accurate strategic intelligence. That's, ox that's oxymoron. There is no accurate strategic intelligence because strategic intelligence is about the future. And you can't be accurate about the future. You can only be accurate about facts. And those are present and past. I can, can tell you 100% that our competitive intelligence professional, the one we certify, understand very well that their number one asset is not gathering facts. It's not sending in data. It's putting a spin on it, understanding it, or giving a perspective that uses their imagination of where is it going? What will be the impact? And we teach them the framework. It's not free imagination. It has an analytical foundation, which is the Professor Porter's analytical foundation, but you have to take it and then you have to project it into the future. Now, that said, the problem is not with my analysts. The problem is that there are many executives, usually not at the top, 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 but in mid-level, the VPs type that want the data. Just give me the data, which is the wrong, really the wrong approach because I'm a behavioral economist by training. My PhD was in behavioral economics. And what research shows is that strategic decisions, the big ones, the huge bets that company make are improved when the decision maker, whether it's the CEO or a business unit, president, when they get different perspectives. 
If it's only their perspective and nobody brings additional input, their decision will be inferior. So the research suggests that you might want to hear not more data and not more facts, but you want to hear different perspectives because the facts are known and everybody knows the same facts. What do other people think? And that's the role of the intelligence professional is to actually synthesize different perspectives. What do competitors think? What do suppliers, disruptors, regulators, customers? Bring me all these perspectives. Uh, if I'm the CEO and I'm a, I'm a president of my own company, if somebody brings me a piece of data, your competitor does this and this. I said, so what? I'm not going to imitate them. I don't care what they do. Put it in context for me. What does it mean? Where are we going? What are my options? Can I do something now that is even uh, more different than then? So this is how CEOs actually think. Whether it's a small company, a large company, it makes no difference. The problem is usually that CEOs are surrounded by closed and very tight circle of advisors. Some of them, like investment bankers, have their own agenda. Consulting firms want to get more projects. The only one who doesn't have an agenda is an intelligence advisor who's, who's supposed to bring those perspectives to help the CEO make huge decisions. CEOs that understand it get the full value. So it's not my competitive intelligence professionals that are the problem. It's the VPs who says, give me the data. I don't need to hear anything from you more than that. That's stupid. I don't know if you can keep the word stupid on the podcast, but it is stupid. <laughs> It is, it is true. Now, I hear you on that. Now, do you do you see that, I mean, we know that competitive intelligence is sort of an early warning system for yeah. whatever your efforts are, you know, towards your initiatives. Now, would you say that the competitive intelligence uh, helps entities across NGIO is in the early identification of risk, do the decision makers view it as a, a tool, competitive intelligence as a tool to identify and understand and evaluate risk? I wrote a book called Early Warning. You know that. So I believe this is, this is the major role of intelligence, to be early. I mean, if you are late, what's the point? If you tell me competitors did this and that or are doing this and that, it's too late. If I can react or it will take me long to react, just again, look at Sears. I mean, Amazon exists for many years. Walmart took early actions to go and try to bolster its strategy against Amazon. It failed for a while. Then it bought Jet.com and it's thriving right now. So the question is how early is early? The essence of intelligence is really listening to uh, faint signals because everything else uh, you, you can find in your data. You can read, the, you can read, as I said, Wall Street Journal. You can listen to Fox News Business News and get what's happening currently. The faint signals is an out. You need to know how to read them. You need to project with your imagination about the impact. And then you need to be able to talk to a senior executive and get him or her interested, which is not easy. It's not a matter of communicating with a report. It's a matter of dialogue face to face. So that executive can question you. That's the role of intelligence advisor. So it is an early warning system. There's no doubt. The warning is not only about risk. The warning is here is a window for an opportunity that's opening. It will disappear in the next two or three years and investment required now. So it's an early warning on all levels. 
but this is exactly what I see intelligence, number one warning companies. Yes, very, very true. It is early warning system. And uh, having said that, what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners about the benefits of the games you have developed and uh, about your efforts towards competitive intelligence if uh, any of our global viewers or listeners want to uh, get more information on what to understand where to go to get certified or what uh, where to go for getting the training that they would need to become a competitive intelligence professional or where to go and gather more information what would you like to tell them i like to tell them first if their company doesn't sponsor it i'm not taking their money because we are not cheap and I don't think people should pay from their pockets. So you have to have a corporate sponsor because if you don't, then the company is not going to do anything with it and you just wasted money. Second, uh, you just go, if you want to be an intelligent professional, you should be able to find us <laughs> if you think about it. But you can go on our website. We offer three programs a year yeah, across the United States. Uh, the website, you can send to the people or www.academyci.com. They'll find everything they need. The war games are what I do for a living. I mean, the academy for me is my passion. I've been a professor at Rutgers for 18 years. I love to teach. So teach the academy programs and including advanced program. I do for love mostly. The war gaming is what I do for a living. And there are some cultures where it will never work. So I'm starting by telling you, it doesn't work for everybody. It's not like I can do miracles. There are some hierarchical cultures in which if the senior executive look at you askew, you're not gonna say anything. You can't run a war game. War game is the battle of conflicting perspectives and self-interests between high-impact players in whatever market segment you're interested in. So in a day or two, you bring all those perspectives to one place, you use rigorous analytical frameworks to make assessments. Where is it going? What are they gonna do? How would they react to what we would like to do? And you pressure test your strategy. It's an intense experience. Not every culture like intense experiences. There are some cultures where the Executive doesn't want his decisions or even his thinking to be questions too hard. So war games are for those occasions where management says, I'm going to spend $100 million now launching a drug, or I'm going to uh, spend $50 billion introducing new technology. I should spend some money trying to understand what other players will react to it, not just competitors, major customers. Yeah. Uh, People who want to enter the industry, how would they look at what I'm doing? What will they do to foil my strategy? Because that's the role of competition, to foil your strategy. How would regulators react? What would the patients do if it's a new drug? So people who are willing to entertain those perspectives to improve the strategy, a war game is, is a fantastic experience. And people come out of war games and send me and send the academy email saying, that was one of the best experiences I ever gone through. In some cases, it just doesn't succeed because the executives don't want to do things about it, but it's okay. 
as long as the executive, even with his or her intuition, come to the room, listens to options, listens to different perspectives, whatever the final decision is, is going to be better than what he or she thought before the game took place. So this is the experience that if your company has this open culture and some, some, some humility at the top, because you need to have some humility to be willing to understand that your success doesn't depend only on you. It depends on other people. And you have to understand what these other people are thinking. Yes. That culture, a war game would be fantastic. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think uh, as we see that it's not just the government uh, or the military that is at war in the digital global age. Everyone is at war. The, uh, there is asymmetrical hybrid warfare going on across nations and that uh, involves so many different kind of uh, warfare, you know, bio-warfare, nano-warfare and uh, you name it, you know, all kinds of uh, cyber warfare to space warfare, Every everything is at war, everyone is at war and uh, that's where I think your game that you have developed is going to play a very critical role, a very important role. And I myself, you know, talking about me in especially that I would love to, you know, experience that uh, game that you have developed and uh, evaluate that and uh, understand how to come out with, you know, better intelligence, better understanding about uh, the competitive nature, the war, warfare, how the war, it should be conducted. Because uh, I think every entity, every decision maker needs to have that understanding and mindset and approach that we are at war. Even if it looks like, you know, our industry or our business is, you know, just creating some product, making some product or create, having some service, it is a warfare. And we all need to have a better understanding about the asymmetrical hybrid warfare that is going on uh, in cyberspace, geospace and space. So thank you so much, Ben, for participating in Risk Roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on the competitive intelligence and our global viewers and listeners would benefit tremendously from the understanding you provided on the need for competitive intelligence, tools, techniques, and uh, the training for developing a competitive edge today and in the coming tomorrow. So even if a single individual or single decision maker is able to benefit from the competitive intelligence for the complex challenges facing their initiatives or business in a digital global age, based on the understanding they received from this discussion we had today, this risk round of dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that. And I thank you for talking to me and you're invited to the war game that we teach. And if at the end of that, you still think business is war, I failed. Business is not war. Nations are at war. Business one day compete, the next day cooperate. So I like to think about it as conflicting or different perspectives. But I don't want to talk about war because war is violent and businesses aren't and war has different morality and businesses different morality. It's really perspectives to improve your strategy. So I try not, it's called war game because everybody understands it. I mean, it's, it's easy. Sure, sure. You are not at war with your competitors and I am not at war with my competitors because yeah. business is the wonderful thing which is really actually peaceful in the world. Yes, absolutely. And this is a different kind of war. Let me, let's rephrase it. It's not the war that our military finds. There is no violence. There is no killing. It competition. Is, it's a competition. It's a healthy you know, kind of uh, warfare, if you put it. But I would... Uh, 
love to participate in your war game and i hope to learn a lot from that so amidst the changing funda global fundamentals of cyberspace geospace and space gathering information converting it into actionable anti intelligence and then using it in decision making for uh, co to compete is a much needed practice for individuals and entities across nations its government industries and organizations today while there is a growing understanding and acknowledgement of the importance of competitive intelligence the competitive intelligence practice or discipline is still is in its infancy it is yeah. important to understand that competitive intelligence activities are not only a safeguard to protect against security threats and changes but also as a method for finding new opportunities across cyberspace geospace and space risk group cybersecurity geosecurity and space security risk research centers are created for this very reason to identify evaluate and manage the risk facing ngio ncg as a nation's its government industries organizations and academia in cyberspace geospace and space we at risk group believe that risk management security and peace they walk together hand in hand though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict it is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two all three concepts feed into each other we believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations tradition becomes our tradition becomes our security so if we build a culture of managing risk effectively it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace let's manage the existing and emerging risk together for more information on the risk roundups to watch the risk roundup webcast or hear the risk roundup podcast please go to riskgroupllc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share until next time i'm jayshree host of risk roundup signing off see you next time thank you